Well, good morning, Grace. Good morning, indeed. I hope you're enjoying, enjoying our series. I'm tongue-tied this morning. Uh, encounters with Jesus. We're looking at different people having different types of encounters. It's been a revolution for me. I, just listening to myself last week as Jesus had various encounters displaying his power and authority. I was up here going, wow, gee, wow. So this week we're going to look at Jesus uh, having an encounter with a man and he will be demonstrating his great love. He will express his great love for this man in different ways. The man that is the theme, you know, the lead character here, is he's a man with no name. He's, he's in three of the four biographies of Jesus, and so he's important, but no one knows what his name is. He is described in different ways in the different Gospels. He is known to be quite wealthy, very, uh, many possessions, it said. He is also young, probably in his 30s, and he has a place of power. He's a ruler, and so he is youthful and powerful and wealthy. He has the nickname of Rich Young Ruler. Now, I know it's pretty easy to just envy the guy already and not like him, but you're going to like this person. If you knew this person, you would like him because he's a dedicated Jew. He's, he's trustworthy and kind to other people. I'm particularly drawn to this man because he is a seeker of truth, and he is showing great respect and humility towards Jesus. When he has this encounter with Jesus, he's going to run towards him and then get down and bow in front of him, both physical expressions of the humility in his heart. And we're going to come away from this with three major lessons because of this encounter. Jesus is going to look, the passage literally says, Jesus is going to look upon him and it says, Jesus loved him. And Jesus is going to see deep inside that he is afraid. He's going to look at him and love him and see deep inside that he's a prisoner. He's afraid and he's a prisoner. Let's look at the story in Mark chapter 10. It says, and Jesus was setting out on his journey and a man ran up to him and knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you, you know the commands, the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man resp responded to Jesus and saying, teacher, I have done, I've kept all these since my youth. And then Jesus, looking at him and loved him and said to him, oh, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor and your treasure will be in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. But he didn't. Disheartened by this saying, he went away from Jesus sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked at him and loved him and saw that deep in his soul he was terrified. Jesus looked at him and saw him, and he could see inside of him that he was a prisoner. Let's look that he was afraid. He was afraid for his eternal life. Remember, he runs, kneels down, and he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a brilliant question. It's superb. Maybe the single best question anyone could ever ask. 
How can a mortal have an intimate relationship with a transcendent holy God? How can, how can I know that I could spend eternity with God? Great question. He's basically asking, have I done enough? Am, am I in? Man says, look, with, with the wealth that I've acquired and even the power, I have done no ill against my fellow man. I have acted justly, mercifully. I've been generous. I've never sinned against a, another human being. And Jesus doesn't jump in and say, you're a liar. You know, he just says, oh, okay, good. But that's when Jesus sees what he's really saying, what he means. And that's why the man is living with doubt. And he's in fear. He's in fear for his soul. And he should be. There's two reasons why he has this kind of fear. He has a, Jesus is seeing in his life that he has a merit-based salvation model going on. The way he thinks he's going to have eternal life is by earning it. It's a merit-based system. And that merit-based system is terrifying for two reasons. It's a terrifying way to think about how you can have eternal life for two reasons. The first one is, is that you can never know. You can never absolutely know. You can never be certain about something <laughs> that matters more than anything else. You have to live your entire life with doubt. You have to be wondering up until the very end. I mean, look, look at the story here. He's, he's done all the commands that Jesus has asked, six commandments. And since he's done it since his youth, everybody seems to be in agreement with this. And his question is, is that enough? Did I make it? I'm not sure. Like, where's the, where's the thing? Where, how, do you, how can you know? You can't know. A merit salvation system, you can't know. The fate of your eternal life, no way of being sure. You know, like, uh, you've probably seen on TV the, these ads for your retirement amount, retirement savings, and they'll say, you know, do you have your number? There's a number floating around. You know, I need, I don't know, a million two or something. And, and the point of that is, is, like, work with our investment company because we'll help you hit that number so that you'll be safe. You have, that, you have that finish line number, you'll know for certain you're going to be okay in those last years of your life. There are no passages in the entire Bible that say, you get this far, you can, you can know. Now you can be afraid. Or not, not be afraid. Now you can rest. Sleep tight. There's no passage that does that. So you can't know with a merit-based system of salvation. So besides... That being one of the reasons that it causes terror in the human heart is another reason is, is that the nature, the very nature of spiritual growth keeps you from knowing. The nature of spiritual growth is the, the holier you become, the more aware you are of your personal sins. When you're new in the moral merit system, you're mostly keeping track of the things that you actually do right and wrong. As you progress, you're starting to ponder the motives. And that changes everything. Now you're aware of, you know, the evil and the flaws, the undermining things that you do, even the good things you do for bad reasons. In other words, the better you get, the more you doubt your own righteousness. The closer you get to the holy, transcendent God, the more you realize he's unapproachable. Or like the saying is, all saints know they're sinners. 
And most sinners think they're saints. <laughs> and, and so the point of this is this, this man cannot be certain. He is afraid. And the application for us is if this man is afraid and doesn't know how to have eternal life, at least for me, maybe you, I can't keep up with this guy. I can't say, yeah, I've been keeping these commandments since my youth. And if he's afraid, then I need to be very afraid. <laughs> Here's what Jesus says about the merit-based system of salvation. This is Jesus' comment towards his question and how he's living with this fear. Verse 23, and Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were, were amazed, actually literally exceedingly astonished at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And now they were exceedingly astonished again, amazed. And he said to them, so one of them said, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man? Oh, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Listen to these words of Jesus. Are you exceedingly astonished? That is, it, there is no way for a merit-based system of salvation to work. No way. Like one in a million, so you got, yeah, I got a chance? No. A camel through the eye of a needle, impossible. It won't work because it can't work. More, this morality, merit, salvation. Jesus, Jesus is looking at us. He loves us. And he says, you should be afraid if this is the way you think you'll have eternal life. Because you can't fix this. It's impossible for you to fix this. This is the very definition of the gospel. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be saved. This is salvation. It's coming to this realization that Jesus did everything. Because he had to do everything. Because we can't do anything. God is bringing salvation to us and it's a gift. It's impossible for us to have eternal life. But with God all things are possible this is how it's made possible. It can't be earned. It's impossible. Listen to the, listen to the repetition of, of the nature of salvation, how it is a gift. It is grace. It's not from works. It's not from good works. Look how Paul writes the definition of saving eternal life faith. He says, for it is by grace, that means gift. It is by grace that we've been saved through faith in Jesus. It's not it's not of ourselves, not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It's not from works, so that, so that. It's not from works, so that no one can be boasting about their good works. Salvation is a miracle, is the point. Salvation is an absolute miracle gift from God intervening into our lives. That's salvation. All things are possible if God gets in the story. I, like, I think this is why G.K. Chesterton wrote that the prostitute is closer to salvation than the merit-based moral person. Because the prostitute, she knows, oh, there's no way I'm going to have eternal life. No way. Unless, well, all things are possible with God. 
unless it's a gift given to me by Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection, I'm in. But she doesn't have hope for salvation in a merit system. She gave it away. And that's why Chesterton said she's closer to it because she, she understands the system. So the application is, is this, this method of salvation that he's providing if it's gift-based, that it's Jesus doing all the work, here's what you get with that. You get freedom. Because you don't have to be enslaved to make sure you get a perfect score. And you get certainty. And that certainty brings about all sorts of great God stories. You get to have a God story in your life. Someone asks you about, you're, so you're saved, you're have eternal life. Oh, yes, I do. Absolutely. Well, tell me about that. Well, I spent a lot of my life trying to do all these commandments, and I did them all since the day of my youth, and then I came to this realization that it's impossible to have eternal life with this merit-based system, so I gave it up. I abandoned it. I, there's a word, repented of that model of salvation, and I just trusted in the gift of Jesus Christ, and there it is. So all the talk, so that, so that, my there's no talk about my, my good works. It's all the talk about Jesus, 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 so that I'm not boasting about what I've done. Let's talk about just these two models of salvation, the merit-based one versus the grace-based one, about what it says about the love of God. For God so loved the world, God is loving. He is all loving. What do these two different models of salvation say about that love? In the merit-based morality salvation, it says this. You'll never know until it's too late. When do you find out that you made it or you didn't make it? You get to the pearly gates of heaven, and then, I, I don't know, Peter's working the gate, whatever you want to have happen here, okay? But he's just like, oh, you missed it by two. Sorry. And you can't do anything about it. Send me back. Let me go get those two little tokens. No, it's too late. And so, you know, what does it say about the love of God? For God so loves you that he wants you to live your life in panic until the day you find out whether you made it or you didn't. That, is, that does not sound like a loving God to me. And then we'll look at this other one. Look at this miraculous gift of Jesus' death for the payment of my sins against the holiness of God. Jesus did everything. Now we can know for certain because it's the work of Jesus. Do I ever doubt that Jesus' work was fulfillment? Was it enough? Yeah, I've seen that crucifixion on a few films. Yeah, I think he paid it in full. And, and so what does that say about the nature of the love of God? That he would want us to live with certainty about his intimate relationship with us. Look at, look at these two sentences and look what they say about the nature of God's love as a, and what's he giving us in this. Look at 1 John 5 says, and this is the testimony. And the way they're using this, like think of a, a law testimony, right? You testify. Let me, the legal declaration. God has given us. It's a gift. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you might know that you have eternal life. <laughs> he wants us to know eternal life 
is impossible if it's up to us. All things are possible with God. He's going to provide a miracle. And Jesus says, I'm that miracle. So that there's no more boasting about my good works. There's only boasting about God's great gift. (laughs) So Bible salvation, if you look at it legally, Bible salvation talks about adoption papers. Those are the legal declarations, not an employment contract. It's not merit, it's a gift. Jesus looks and he loves and he sees deep inside that this man's scared for his eternal fate and he answers that question and says, abandon the model. And then he sees deep inside that he's a prisoner. He sees that the man is a prisoner. He's a prisoner of his own success. He's a prisoner of something that's good. God gave him this success. And the good thing has gone bad. Actually, every bad thing is a good thing that's gone bad. It's the nature of evil. But here, what's happened is the success that God has given him is now ruling his life. The success that God has given him is telling him how to live. And he's obeying it. It's a good thing that he liked, and then he loved, and then he loved too much. A beautiful, descriptive visual of, of what, it, what it's like to have an idol. This is an idol of idol worship. It's the nature of idol worship is it serves you, and then you serve it, and then it kills you. <laughs> and, and you can see that in the writings of J.R. Tolkien in the Lord of the Rings in the Hobbit series. Right? Where the, by the way, the greater the good, the greater the fall when it's corrupted. That's the nature of evil as well. And so the greatest, strongest thing is this ring of power, the one ring that will rule them all. And then Smeagol gets that ring, and he's a cute little hobbit, and he can't control it. It controls him. And what does he call it? My precious. And he is transformed. He devolves into this thing, into Gollum. My precious. He just does what he's told. (laughs) Jesus looks at this rich young ruler and sees deep inside that he's becoming Gollum. He can't let it go. Who's the only person that can endure carrying the ring? The one that can put it down. The one that can leave it behind. No one else qualifies. That's the point. He's seeing this rich rung ruler and he's given his life over to it. It's become his, pre- it's become his, his precious. Why don't you see a couple things here? Because I think sometimes people look at this passage and kind of go, not like Jesus for it. And two things... One is that Jesus isn't saying anything that any other spiritual leader would say. This is what every spiritual leader would say to this man, seeing that he's, he's corrupted by this idol worship. Because the definition of a spiritual leader is they're spiritual. <laughs> they're, they, they say the spirit is more important and more valuable and needs to be cared for more than the body. And so whether it's... I don't, Greek Stoics or Eastern mystics, Solomon or Confucius, in their Proverbs, they're going to say, the, the spirit is more important than, than the body. Don't be enslaved. In a different way, Buddha or Socrates, Pascal, Kierkegaard, any one of these men would have seen this man and they would have looked down and loved him and said, you are a slave. 
give it all away and you'll be free. Jesus is saying what every spiritual leader would say. Wealth makes a great slave. It makes a terrible master. And this man is being mastered by it. How do you know that? Because the man runs to Jesus, gets on his knees and says, how can I inherit eternal life? Jesus answers the question and he says, no. This is one of the, this is, might be the single saddest story in the Newer Testament because he walks away from eternal life because he couldn't let it go. He had many possessions. This is, this is idolatry. Jesus asks him, asks him the six commandments that have to deal with the ethics of relating to our fellow man. But when Jesus brings up the very first commandment, the greatest and the most loving commandment, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. He can't let that go. He can't submit to that one. Wealth and status has taken his, he's an, it's an idol, it's taken his place there. Something good that has become ultimate evil for him. He can't put it down. It's ruling the priorities of his life. It's controlling his decisions that are being made. This is how you know when you're doing it. It's, it's where you spend your time, who you choose your friends to be. It's the thing that you meditate on, daydream about. And instead of daydreaming about the Lord, he's daydreaming about how to keep and maintain his wealth. A second observation, not just that Jesus is saying what any spiritual leader would say, is I think Jesus would say this to anyone about any idol. <laughs> it's all about what is first and foremost in your life. What do you serve? The first commandment is a gift from God because only God can endure worship. Any other thing that we, quote, worship, we serve, and then it, and then it destroys us. So you could, you could uh, tell the story. It goes like this. Uh, Jesus was on his way to his next adventure, and a young pop singer actress runs to him and bows down and kneels in front of him and says, Lord, what must I do to be, have eternal life? And the Lord said, well, how's your life been? I, I've not compromised in any way to get the wealth and the fame that I have. I, I, I treat my fellows with dignity and honor, and I'm generous. And then Jesus looks at her and loves her and sees that she's intoxicated by the fame. And so he says to her, there's one thing you lack. Just leave the spotlight. Leave it behind and then follow me. You'll have e eternal rewards for that. She went away sorrowful because she had great fame. It's easy to exaggerate the story, but I think Jesus would walk down the halls of a lot of high schools and grab a couple sophomores and say, I know you're popular, but you're enslaved to the growing tuition payments that are going to bankrupt your soul. Cash out right now. Follow me, and you'll be free. Do not obey the windsock of popularity. It will kill you. But how many would walk away with sorrow because they'd rather be popular? So it, it, it comes up a lot is the point. It's universal. This, 
rejection of things that matter too much. I was at a conference years ago. It was a Christian counselor conference, and they were training us on how to do what and where. And the speaker, the author, you know, the keynote was giving his talk at the end and told a story. And it, the, the theme was this, how idols show up in our lives and good things that become too important for us. And he referred to a, mo- a mother that came to him and said, I, I don't know how to help my daughter. She has a compulsion. It, it's, she's worried to death about how she appears. She, she spends way too much time making sure every hair is in line and she's all made up and she goes to school and then she comes back and she, she loses sleep over it. And this writer, speaker, looks at the mother and sees, hmm, I know where your daughter's getting that. And so he says to her, here's how you can help her. The next time you pick her up from school, just go in a pair of sweats, put on a baseball cap, and then on the way home, go to the grocery store. And then that'll be it. You'll cure her. She's going to see how much freedom you have from this compulsive need to be beautiful, and she'll love that freedom. The mom couldn't do it. She couldn't leave the house unless she was beautiful. And so she went away from this counselor with great sorrow, for she was known for her great beauty. She could have cut the strings of that puppet master and shown her daughter how to dance, but she couldn't. See, every type of idol worship ends the same way. And Jesus is just trying to set this person free Jesus looks at him and shows his love for him and says, just liquidate all your assets. You'll have treasures in heaven and then follow me. And to be clear, this is the only passage in the entire Bible where it says liquidate everything, give everything away, because this is how desperate I think this man is. He, he's enslaved. I think quite probably, it's happened a couple of times in my life, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but it could have gone like this. Give everything away to the poor. Follow me. You'll have treasures in heaven. And the man says, okay, great. Everything's for sale. I could see Jesus saying, okay, you don't have to now. Because now you know, and I know, that it doesn't own you any longer. You own it. You can drop the ring, and so you can now carry the ring. This is what it means to be a true disciple. Now he would see that he has freedom. That's what you get with free, with when you are worshiping the Lord your God. You get certainty in your salvation. You get freedom in the way you live your life. And, and now the things that you imagine and dwell on is about the Lord. All, Jesus is saying, look, if you get rid of everything and all you have is me, you're going to love that. It'll be more than enough. But that's not how the story ends. This is how it ends. It's a sorrowful story. And he was disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was grieving. He suffered great loss. Because this man was known as the rich, young ruler. And if you take away rich, add calendars to young, and now lose status as a ruler then who am I now? You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's who. Mm. Oh, no. So three 
big points of truth here are the power of grace-based salvation gives us certainty and that Jesus is here to heal us from our idol worship before it destroys our very souls and costs us eternity. And the third thing I want you to see is, is this powerful, this is the application in, in the entire value here. It's, it's that Jesus, okay, surrendering to Jesus is never considered a sacrifice, it's an investment. It's not a sacrifice, it's an investment. It's, in a way, it's like saying, you don't, you don't pay the price for being in shape, you pay the price for being out of shape. Okay, you know, you don't sacrifice for saving money for later, you're going to sacrifice later if you don't. You don't pay for being a lifelong learner, you pay for being lifelong dumb. And so this story, like all the invitations in the Bible, from beginning to end, all of them, this one says it quite clearly. Jesus is saying, you will never regret total surrender to me in every part of your life. You want to become like Christ? In all of life. It's the very best thing that could ever happen to you. It's always better. It's always an upgrade. It's trading up. And this isn't just my opinion. This isn't just my experience. This is what he clearly says. Look what he says in verse 28. And Peter began to say to him, well, look, look what we left everything to follow you. I'm not feeling like a winner here. And Jesus just says, look, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left, let's do an inventory. No one has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields. And guess what? You get some extra stuff along with some persecution. Awesome. In this life and in the age to come, in the, in the eternal life. But many of the first will be last and many of the last will be first. He's saying, trade up any... Any expense to serving the Lord with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, it's not an expense, it's an investment. You're trading the temporal for the eternal. You're giving away something that you can't keep to get something you can't lose. <laughs> Choose wisely. Choose wisely. He never begs anyone to follow him. He just reasons with him and says, this is the best that could ever happen. What if, rewrite this story. Just think, in your imagination, just rewrite this story where the person has this intervention from Jesus and he sobers up, right? So Jesus was on his way to his next village and a young man comes running to him and kneels down and says, Lord Jesus, what must I do to have inherit eternal life? And he says, okay, well, here's the thing. You'd have to liquidate all your assets, give them to the poor, and then your treasures will be laid up in heaven. And the man says, wow. So I'd, leave, I'd have to lose my governor's office and give away all my material possessions. And then Jesus says, hey, so here's the thing. You know, I have 12 disciples for the 12 tribes of Israel. I want you on this team. I really, I love your humility and your pursuit of truth. 
one of these spots is going to be coming open pretty soon. Okay? I'm just saying, there's room on the bench. It's not right now, but in pretty You come and follow me. You won't regret it. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you nothing. And so the man says, I'm in. Sell away. Tell everybody to vacate their offices. I'm coming with Jesus. You know what would be different? If he said yes, you'd know his name. You would know his name. There's only four Gospels. Three of them have this story. And nobody knows his name because he's a nameless man that we don't need to know. But if he said yes, your children across the parking lot, they'd be memorizing the 12 disciples' name and he'd be in that list. It cost him everything to hold on to the little things. He held on to the temporal and gave up the eternal. He was owned by the things that he lost instead of having the things that couldn't be taken from him. And that's why it's a sad story. It's a story that ends in great grief because he had many possessions that wouldn't matter. He chose poorly. God looks upon you and me and sees us and loves us and says, the best thing you can do for your freedom, for your joy, for your life, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might. The greatest gift was the greatest commandment. The best commandment is the first commandment. God says, you're welcome. I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. Do not make idols in any image. And then you'll be free. So the first application for us in this room, as God looks upon us in love and says, are you free? If you can't put it down, you don't own it. It owns you. Are you free? Love the Lord your God first with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. The second question for, for many people is what's your system of salvation? Because if you have this merit system, it's impossible to have eternal life. I'm talking camel through an eye of a needle impossible. It can't work. It won't work because you can't fix it. Or there's this gift from God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And with this, we get certainty. With this, we are terrorized into eternity. What system are you using? You get certainty. The love of God wants you to be certain. So let's close our time with a prayer with these two great challenges. Remembering that doesn't cost. It's an investment. Trade up, everybody. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this conversation. Not for this poor man's soul's sake, but all that we can learn from that. I think there's men and women in the room that still think that they can earn their way to a good standing before you. They're in church today just to get right with you. 
they're going to come up short until they abandon the model, the system of salvation that's based on merit and good works, and they would receive the gift. All things are possible with God, and you loved us that sent your only son that we might have eternal life, and we might know we have eternal life. Lord, I would imagine there's a lot of people that have something in front of you, something good that you gave them, a child, a marriage, just comfort. And it's a good thing. It's becoming a great thing or it has become an ultimate thing. And now it stands in the way between their love for you and this thing. So, Lord, I'd ask that they would put that down today. They'd call it what it is, confess their idol worship, and surrender it to you. They'd be willing to sell all their possessions and give it to the poor. Whatever that possession is, their beauty, their fame, their reputation, whatever. If you give it back, thank you, God. If you don't, thank you, God. But, Lord, I'd ask that you would clear out the clutter in our lives that we might worship you and you alone. We are grateful for your love that we're seeing in this encounter. That you want us to live free with certainty about how to have eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.